just want to remind you last week as we talked about Easter, we looked at some accounts from the life of Jesus, especially with a close friend that he had. And these accounts demonstrated how uh, these different individuals that he was uh, in relationship with had made some mistakes, had made some decisions, had done some things wrong. And what was beautiful about it in the end, even though I'm sure that they had a lot of emotion about that and concern and fear, he ultimately uh, restored with them. Uh, he, he brought them back into a relationship with him. And it was because of their faith in the resurrection that that was possible. And, and what we said about that was simply that when you believe in the resurrection power of Jesus, you can have new and you can have better life. And, and here's the reality. God wants us to have a relationship with him. He wants us to know him. Uh, he wants us to find freedom in that relationship with him as well. And I just want to share a few things about that because at the end of the day, what God wants us to do is he wants us to trade up. He wants to trade our, our fear for faith. And we see some amazing things taking place immediately after uh, the resurrection and then the ascension of Jesus. He leaves the earth. And in the early phases of the church, we find some powerful uh, truths that demonstrate that and that demonstrate God's desire and how the church shows their desire to have faith in him rather than fear for the world. And so let me just take you through some of those details. It really begins when the church begins, which is the day of Pentecost. And sometimes we think that that's just a Christian day or it's just a Christian thing because it's on the day that the church began. But the truth is, is that uh, Pentecost was around for long before that. It was actually a religious festival for the Jews. It was a celebration of the harvest. And this is why there'd be so many people packed into Jerusalem. It, you know, just imagine Times Square on New Year's Eve times 10. And that kind of gives you the idea and the picture that you see there. But let me share with you just what we see happening on that first day of the church, what we see taking place, the followers of Jesus are uh, listening to the commands that Jesus gave to them. They're doing exactly what he asked them to do. And what we know is this. It says this, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Uh, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So, in, and then what happens as a result of them waiting, as a result of the Spirit showing up, he shows up in a loud fashion. Um, I, there's a noise. I don't know, being in Central Florida, I think of the sonic boom, you know, when, when ultimately a, a space shuttle returns. But it was far more amazing that, than that. It caused all of the people who were in their homes early in the morning to come out to see what is going on, what's happening. And, and listen to what takes place. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Language, 
So not only do we see something very amazing and unique take place, that is the disciples gathered there, the followers of Jesus in this home, just like Jesus said, spirit comes on them in a way that we only see happen twice in the scriptures. On them and then 15 years later in Acts chapter 10, we read about how it happens uh, to Cornelius. This is a non-Jewish family and God was declaring, hey, listen, my spirit and my salvation is for everybody, not just for the Jewish nation, it's for all nations. And then now we see all these people from different places that speak different languages coming out because of something amazing that's going on and they're hearing the gospel in their own language. They're hearing people that are nobody, so to speak, of who aren't educated in their language, being able to speak in their language, which is powerful. And, and here's the thing. As the gospel is presented at this time, we've got to realize that the audience is pulled together. Their attention is on God. And what Peter is presenting to them is information that would be Old Testament information. This is what this prophet said. This is what the psalm said. All of it was said about Jesus. It was all said about the Messiah who was to come. And he's, he's making the case for why Jesus, who had been crucified, resurrected, and then ascended, is exactly who he said he was. And look at what happens as a result of that. As Peter's preaching this message, he says this one last thing. Look at what he says. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. That's like that pin drop moment. It's a powerful moment in what he says. He basically says to him, he's exactly who God said he would be. All the prophets talked about it. Uh, you should have seen it. You missed it. And you called for him to be crucified. And guess what? You crucified the Lord and the Messiah. Look at how they respond. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? What do we need to do? How do we fix this? How do we make this right? This idea of being cut to the heart is a powerful statement. It's saying that they were very emotionally moved, emotionally moved towards anxiety, emotionally moved towards remorse. In essence, they're fearful, they're scared, they're afraid. They realize that this is who we waited for, who we've been told about all our life, and we called for him to be crucified. And so in that moment of fear, they're calling out, asking, what should we do? Now, listen, I know that all of us have moments of fear. It may be fear because of like this context here, we did something. And now we know that there's some sort of consequence to it. Or we did something and we're afraid it'll never be back the same that it was. Uh, whatever it may be, or it's just the kind of circumstances we find ourselves in now, uh, experiencing some very, very unusual, unprecedented things in our time, there's always this, this opportunity in the world to impress fear on us, to pull out the emotion of fear from us. And we see that taking place in this moment. Now, the statement here, cut to the heart, that really gets at it. And as we understand it better, let me say something that I think is so important here. There is always an element of fear in faith. There's always an element of fear in faith. It's more than just simply this idea of reverence or awe. 
And it's not just this Old Testament idea, like, well, that was for the Old Testament. Jesus came along. He's all gracious now. We're buddies. And God's like some sort of fuzzy grandpa that just gives us whatever we want. Uh, no, they're like real fear. And it's not just there before Jesus. It was there during Jesus and after Jesus. This idea of literally having a sense of fear about the presence, the power, the, the majesty of God. I mean, in fact, Jesus says something about this himself. Listen to what he says in Matthew 10, 28. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but can, cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid, Jesus says, of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Here's the thing. You know, Jesus is making a point when he says this that we're not just earthly creatures. We are created to live forever with God. And we should have a healthy emotion and response of fear to God who is the ultimate judge over that eternal destination that we would desire to be with him. Now, here's a, here's a verse that I think really can help us shed some light on this idea. It's 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So how does the fear of God, who is perfect love, drive out fear? It seems a little bit complicated and twisted up, I know. But it's really about perspective. It's, it's completely about perspective. Think about this. Faith is about perspective. How do you see God? It makes a big impact on the kind of faith that you have for who God is and what he is capable of doing. It, it's really about that kind of perspective. You know, when you think about these people responding, cut to the heart, what emotionally moved them? What triggered them? What are they afraid of? And at the end of it, we know they are fearful because of the news that they chose to call for the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. They're fearful to realize that they didn't recognize who he was. They rejected the Lord. They rejected uh, the anointed one. They rejected the Messiah. And, and why did they reject him? Don't miss this part. And this is where I think it's so important. Why did they reject him? Because they were more afraid of the world than they were of God. That's why they missed him. That's why they didn't see it. That's why they rejected him. Think about it. They were more afraid of losing their way of life than they were of trusting God. They were more afraid of what the Romans could do to them than they were of what God could do to them. They were more afraid of anything and everything within the world except for having a right fear of God. Now, when faith begins to happen in our heart, our perspective begins to change and we have an understanding, a better understanding of just how dangerous God is. I realize that that sounds strange. That sounds weird. It's like, God's not scary. 
You know, it's the world that's scary, but here's the, here's the problem that we have with our perspective sometimes is we see the world as very dangerous, very scary, a big threat to us, and then we think we just need God to balance it out. We need God to fix it. We need God to make it better. But that puts him in a position where really his power is no greater. He's the one who created the world. He's the one who called it into existence. At the end of the day, he is so much of a greater threat to us than the world ever is. And I, I know that that sounds a little weird, but think of it this way. God is the greatest threat to my ego, but not to me personally. God is uh, someone who threatens my delusions of how I want life to be so that he can set me free with what is true. God crushes me, crushes me under the weight of his glory. But yet at the same time, he gives me the opportunity through his son to be a part of that glory. And as Paul says, to, to move from glory to glory, that is a, you know, to be able to be a part of what God is doing, grow in my relationship with him and experience an even greater sense of glory as I grow with him as well. God is a terrifying judge of my sin. And yet at the same time, he is the one who brings mercy and grace and forgiveness to the significant struggle that I personally have in regards to my own sin. You see, it's a fear of God that brings about a, a wisdom in my heart but then it's the love of the Lord that brings that to ultimate completion. And that's such an important thing to understand and to see. Faith may begin in a sense of fear, but it is perfected. It is made complete. It is made total in love. Let me make this personal. Let me try and just simply give you a, a simple statement to clarify this and, and, and to help you help us all apply it in our own lives is simply this. God invites us to trade our fear of the world for faith in him. That's what he invites us to do, to, to recognize that he has a sense of awe and power and authority. He's the one who spoke what we see here on a daily basis into existence. He has complete and total authority over all of it as well. Now, a powerful reality demonstrated all throughout the church is simply this. Every day, we see constant pressure on the church as we read about their early existence. Constant threats. I mean, real serious threats from the world. Threats of harm. Threats of taking everything that they have. Constant threats. And you know how they responded to those threats consistently, day in and day out? They responded in faith not through an emotional response of fear. This is so important to recognize, because think about this. The disciples were a scattered bunch of people fearful for their lives after the death of Jesus. They deserted him. They're, they're spread apart. They're hiding in homes. They're afraid for themselves. They're afraid for their families. They're afraid for their friends. They're going back to their old way of life. They're like, hey, the last three years of our lives have been wasted, everything. But then, 50 days later, after all of this fearful response, just in 50 days, seven Sundays later, they go from people 
being people who were so fearful of the world to demonstrating a powerful faith in God that changes the world. How does that happen? I mean, the only logical explanation of how that happened is an encounter with God where their perspectives changed and, and they began to trade out their fear of the world for their faith and their trust in God. Now, let me read just a couple of the last things that takes place in this, in this, this story that we're reading about this morning. Because when Peter says what he says, their response is, what should we do? They're like, we've got to do something. We know that we need to make a move. We know that we need to take some sort of action. We want to demonstrate our faith. This is what Peter says to them. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Paul tells them to repent. Uh, he tells them to change their perspective, to change their mind. The idea behind this is with understanding or with knowledge, you make a different decision in your mind. I think of it this way. Um, once I stuck a fork in a, life so in a light socket, once. It changed my mind on ever doing that again. Or, or likewise, coming to know who Jesus is, uh, understanding the sacrifice that he's made for me, uh, knowing that the heavens declare the glory of God, it moves me to want to know him, to turn towards him, to trust in him, to follow him. This is the idea of repentance. And it's, it's not just something we do once, it's something we do every day. But, you know, what, we're not going to know everything in that moment we decide to follow God, but we're going to continue to grow in knowing him. He, he also tells them here as well to be baptized. Now, God could have created and called us to any kind of action of faith. Uh, this one is familiar to them. This idea of being purified with water was something that was in their religious traditions already as Jewish people. And so obviously it made sense, but it makes even so much more sense when you think about it. Think about this. Uh, some, a woman can have a $100 hairdo and amazing makeup. But when she goes down to that water and comes back up, she just looks like every other woman that goes down in the water and comes back up. It's a very humbling experience. Guys who tend to be very self-reliant, uh, typically prideful, are, I, we don't like to submit ourselves to anybody much less submit ourselves and our will and our heart to God, especially to somebody else who's going to put us down underwater and bring us back up. You see, it makes perfect sense that God chose this action uh, because it requires humility. And to follow God and have a growing relationship with God requires a significant, uh, significant amount of humility on our part and submission to God. And I tell you what, he, he picked a, a mode and a model and a way in which we can uh, enter into a relationship with him that requires us to humble ourselves, to submit our heart and our will, and to change our minds 
and start trusting him. It puts us on a great foundation in a relationship with God where we continue to submit ourselves over time. We continue to turn our minds to trust and to follow in him. God wants to have an amazing relationship with you. Uh, He wants uh, to, to draw you closer. He wants you to know him. He wants you to find freedom in, in knowing him. Uh, he wants you to be able to live in this world and not be fearful of what this world can do, but to have an intense faith in him that is demonstrated to everybody around you as well. Let me just simply say this. It's a question. What step do you need to take to trade your fear of the world for your faith in God? What is it that you need to do to trade up? Because God wants you to experience that opportunity. Just as we've seen many people, not just from the early church, but many examples throughout history, people in situations that they should be shaken in their boots, and yet they're not. They're demonstrating amazing and powerful faith. I guarantee you there's many of us right now that we're, we're afraid, we're struggling. And, and maybe you've given your life over to Christ, and yet you are concerned, you are fearful. Listen, this is a great opportunity to do exactly what Peter said do. Repent, change your mind. Be reminded that God has a greater power than the world does. Don't be fearful of what the world can do. Demonstrate your life and faith to God. It may be that you've never made that step. Maybe you're a believer in God. But for whatever reason, you've never humbled yourself to the action of being baptized, submitting to God. And that's the step that you need to take. Whatever it is, every single one of us have the opportunity to take a step. And a step in the direction that says, I will not be afraid of what the world can do. But rather, I'll be faithful to what God can do and to what he's promised. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful to have this opportunity to study your word, to see some powerful things that took place at the beginning of your church and to see the powerful faith demonstrated uh, by those early followers of you who traded their fear of the world for faith in you. And thousands of years later, we we still talk about it. Uh, We're still inspired by it. Uh, Father, would you help us to live in such a way to where we would demonstrate faith rather than fear and we would inspire our family our friends, our community, and how we serve and how we care and how we know that there's going to be something better because you've given us a promise that is powerful. And Lord, we ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.